Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. Soul is a production of Through the Word. That's the intro. Time for the show. So let's get to it. You've got to hear this story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. I'm your host, Chris Langham, and with me, as always, Brad Hornback. Welcome back, Brad. Hey, I'm back. I'm the sidekick. I love it. <laughs> I got a sidekick. Brad, my friend, my compadre, <laughs> my brother, you have got to hear this story. You, my friend, are going to talk about this one. We're back in our series called Life on Mission. What do you think about part one? No, oh, it was phenomenal, and I'm super, like, I'm pumped. I, I want more. I All want right. More. Well, it keeps getting better. We, uh, we'll we talk about God's call to missions. We're going to talk about missions issues. Back in part one, we went overseas, other side of the world, to Nairobi, Kenya. Today, we're bringing it back home. And there are plenty of messy issues right here at home. Today's story drops us right into sticky political question because we're talking about mission work with refugees. But the flip side of that issue is the unreached peoples of the world are moving right into our own neighborhood. And there's an opportunity to mission work right around the corner. Hmm. What happens when we reach out with the love of God to the refugees in our own backyard? whether they be Muslim, Hindu, Christian, Buddhist, and what if they're trying to convert us? Then it gets really tricky to talk about. Yes. But we're going to begin with story. Before we get into the issues, soul is always about great stories. So I want to welcome to the studio, Ryan Woodburn. Ryan, welcome. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Ryan, tell us what you do. So my family and I, we work with refugees and immigrants from the Muslim world in our community and so we're helping them as they get started in a new life and meeting felt needs and uh, as we engage those practical needs getting to meet spiritual needs and disciple people now you're working with refugees in an area where refugees tell us about the the influx of refugees that where are they coming from where the the people that you're meeting where are they coming from and how do they end up here so in our community the majority of refugees would be from the middle east and north africa and that's in the area where we live. That's a predominant kind of hub for them. So we would say the majority are from Iraq, from Syria, from Afghanistan, and as well as refugees from Egypt. Now, this is, is this a neighborhood that, that you just were already living in and some, they, they started moving your neighborhood and you reached out? Or did you move to, to become a part of this? We moved there a few years ago to become part of it. The Lord had called us into the community to move into the neighborhood intentionally. And we had only lived about a half hour away before that. And uh, that was the change that we made was we moved 30 minutes down the road. Nice. And and into the place where you've got an opportunity to, to reach out. Now, now, how big is this? Is, is this just a small neighborhood of refugees? Uh, tell us some, some numbers. So in a two-mile radius, there's around... 3,500 to 4,000 people from the Middle East to be conservative. And then also within that two-mile radius, you're going to have two mosques, 20 unreached people groups, four halal markets, and 23 halal restaurants. In in a two-mile radius of walking in, distance wow. of, our, of our own apartment. Well, so it, does it ever feel like you've stepped out of America, outside? Of- yeah, often. Yeah, <laughs> you, you kind of get hit with it at, at different times and points so we find ourselves sometimes amazed like wow you know it is much like the middle east wow well that's phenomenal now we want to jump into some story but uh but just give us a give us a little taste jump right in tell us about the uh you mentioned an egyptian family that that you encountered give us a story so an organization that i had worked with um 
one of the reasons that immigrant and refugee families would come would be to receive a specific service to help them start their life. So in this case, it was furniture. So a man walked through the door and asked if a coworker of mine was there for furniture. And so five seconds later, his eyes were like magnets went to the Arabic Bibles on the bookshelves in the office. So he asked if he could look at the Bible, and I said, of course. So we started to talk. He asked, what verses teach you how to pray, how to worship? So I'd asked him if he had a Bible in his own language. So I was able to bless him with a Bible that day. And he ended up sharing with me that he had believed everything about Jesus, that that um, when I asked him, you know, wait, r- stop right there. You just said... You believe everything about Jesus. His name was a Muslim name, so something was up. So then I began to ask him to clarify, number one, my question, do you believe Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins and for the whole world? And he said, yes. Mm -hmm. So then the second question I asked was, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God because he said that no man can go to God but through him, that he's the way, the truth, and life. He said, yes, I believe that. And he beat me to the punchline for my third question. He said, I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. Wow. So we're sitting here. Before you even asked, he's he The third forward. point I wanted wow. to ask him was about the resurrection, but he beat me to it, and he said, I believe he was raised from the dead. And so I just, I just took that moment to pause and just step back and think, how much God has been working in this man's life as he had showed up for furniture, but he obviously, there was so much more going on spiritually. So I asked if I could pray for him. There's many issues that immigrants and refugees go through starting their life here. One of the things that I was able to pray for them for and help them with was an issue that they had with their apartments. And so I said, let's just pray. So I put my hand on his shoulder, started to pray for him and his family for God's blessings and for God's peace and his love to just flood their their lives. So after we got done praying, his eyes were wide open, like as if I gave him a blank check or if he saw a ghost. And he, he said, from, from your hand was this uh, feeling like electricity going through my body. I've never felt this before. And so what I told him was, I did not feel that from me personally, but what I can tell you is that this is the Lord telling you that his hand is on your life and that he cares about you and that he's with you and your family. And um, Mm. so this is just one story about a divine appointment of a person who came into our life for one reason, to get furniture. God, God had get another furniture, and what a gift. Yeah. And we ended up studying the Bible from there on occasionally and about a month ago, one of our ministry partners, who is a, a national Christian leader, led him and his family to the Lord. He had explained John 3, and they had said, yes, we want to follow Jesus. We want to pray to receive him as our Lord and Savior. So mm-hmm. when I step back the last few years and look at how, how he came into my life, our conversations, and how curious, and how really he was on the front foot wanting to, wanting to know more. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we... We sit here and looking back from a couple of years, they've made huge steps towards Christ as a family. As, as a family, they family. As yeah, he's yeah. The, the the whole family has made a decision. That's fantastic. Now that's that's what I call a glory story. We love to tell the glory stories, but I know when it comes to mission work, they're not all 
right. glory stories. We're gonna we're gonna dive into to some more stories and some of the more challenging part of the work because working with refugees is necessarily going to be difficult. There are all kinds of needs, and meeting all those felt needs will often, I'm sure, put you over your head. But uh, but let's back up a second and uh, lay out some ground rules. I want to point out one thing for those who are watching on on video. If you're watching a, this the the video version, you're wondering how come. How come I'm just staring at uh, at Chris and Brad this whole time? I mean, the, we're we're good. To, never I, I mind. Think, I, say. I think it's obvious. Well, I don't know why yes. you covered up your head, but uh, <clears throat> there you go. You got to look at the handsome ball guys. No, I got. I want to explain. We're uh, we're not putting Ryan on camera for security reasons, and then that might make everybody wonder. Wait, is this a dangerous work that he's a part of? We'll we'll get into that. We'll we'll talk about that. But uh, but first, we got some ground rules, Brad, Mister Ref. Since this Lay is down. yeah, this is part two, so I'm going to give right. them a little bit briefer, a little bit quicker here. That's good. Okay, ground rules though: we're going to respect the story, humility before wisdom, grace always. I want to say that twice: grace always. And lastly, God is going to have the last word. It's Amen. about Him. It's about His glory. Amen. Okay, let's dive into it, and we're going to back up. We're going to back up a little bit. Ryan, rewind the tape. Take us back to where you heard the call. Now, the irony of all this is that backing up, you're actually going to bring us overseas to hear your calling, which ended up being... <laughs> here at home. Here at home. <laughs> so uh, so where were you when you heard the call? Well, <clears throat> I was attending a Bible college in Europe in a country that had one of the lowest populations of Muslims. And I was sitting in a Bible class and the pastor who was teaching through the book of Matthew had cross-referenced the verse in Luke when Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah and Jesus says the Lord had anointed him to proclaim the year of God's favor, set captives free, give sight to the blind. Mm. And as I was sitting there in that class, I had a, a new burden and a, a curiosity and a thought that uh, the thought that came to mind was a picture from the Holy Spirit of Muslims bowing down in unison on their prayer mats towards Mecca. And I just kept hearing the Lord speak to me, the oppressed, the blind, in need of God's favor, mm-hmm. and I want to set them free. And so that that's where it happened for me. And preceding that experience was a moment of a response time waiting on the Lord as well. A year before that, my first semester in college, where a missionary shared her story and a prophetic word of the Lord was there for certain students to come forward for commissioning to have hands laid on. And um, it was actually a word from the Lord from Abba to his kids to be set apart to the nations. And Mm. it like an altar call, step forward in obedience. If the Lord's Mm. calling you, want to have the elders lay hands on you and anoint you with oil to be commissioned for the work of the Great Commission. So, those two... So, so you're, you you were born and raised in America. In America, in America. yeah. You've gone overseas to, to Bible college, and at this point, you're hearing a calling from God and right. feeling that, that need to, not to a place, but to a people. Exactly, right? yeah. And so, you're not sure where that might land you. And the geography I was in didn't add up with the burden and vision God was giving me. Hmm. In other words, to say there's no experiential seeing someone being regularly in contact, but the Lord just started to speak to me and my wife. My wife had a very similar uh, encounter with the Lord around the same semester 
and the Lord gave her a so picture. So she's attending Bible college with you? Yeah, exactly. We were uh, not even dating at the time, and she was uh, in a worship service when we would gather, and the worship song, There's Power in the Name of Jesus to Break Every Chain, was being mm-hmm. played, and her hands were lifted to the Lord in worship, and the Lord gave her a picture of a Muslim woman in chains with, with a scarf on, so that's how she identified it, and she was crying out, wanting to worship God, wanting to please Him, to reach out to Him and make contact with Him, yet was in bondage and had shackles on. And so so my wife really felt God's heart, and like never before, she never had that heart. She never had an idea or a thought of, oh yeah, I'd love to work with those people. It was actually last on her mind. Hmm. And tell me about the heart. The, the heart from a, because this is this is essential for for mission work is to have God's heart flowing through you and, and I think that's the the drive the the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and so that that love of Christ compelling us being being in you tell me how that 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 works when it's God's heart for a specific people, mm-hmm. and, and this is a people that you're not even close to at, at this point, mm-hmm. but but how do you know that sense in your heart? I think for us, it was vivid, and when Paul saw that the vision of a Macedonian man, it was enough for him to start going towards Macedonia, mm-hmm. but when he got there, there was Lydia and the women at the river there, and so for us it was very vivid it was very specific we were not looking for it and i think as we sat at god's feet for a season wanting to grow in our walks with the lord and know him and to understand his word much more it seems like at that time the lord had brought us there for specific purposes that we didn't even know about and as we were there Vividly and specifically, God started to un- unfold that, if that makes sense. We yeah. we didn't go there with that notion of we're going to be called to the Muslim world. Yeah. And is it is it, is it as simple as just a, a feeling of conviction in your heart? God loves the Muslim people. So there's the broad heart of God, every tribe and tongue in Revelation. Mm-hmm. And when you start to care for and think and become curious and have a burden for a bunch of people you've never met and the desires with are pointing towards an end goal of lives being changed for eternity there's no question of the origin yeah as we're delighting ourselves in the lord he does give our our heart specific desires yeah and and concerns yeah, and I'll say from my experience, my, my first ministry is youth ministry and working with the, the kids. And I remember we'd have meetings with uh, with the leaders and it was training me and all the things they need to, to know about reaching teenagers and working with teenagers and answering their questions, dealing with kids talking. And, you know, so there's always training again and again, every meeting, I would just be overwhelmed with the sense to tell my, my team, love those kids. Mm-hmm. Just love those kids. And I, I would pray for them and I would just love those kids. And I know God loves everyone but oh my goodness, God loves the kids in this group. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of, of the burden that, that you get. There's a very specific understanding of God's love for a particular people. Now, connect the dots for us. We go from you're overseas at Bible college 
and single and separate, you you mm-hmm. guys are uh, not even dating at this point. You each get a sense of God's love for Muslims, and uh, and then we know you end up in America working with Muslims here in in among refugees. How how did that happen? Was was there a time where you were like you know spinning the globe and trying to land in an, in an Arab country or a Muslim area? Spinning, and, spinning, and pointing, and, and hoping. And, where and am I going? Suddenly, it ends up. Yeah. What? What am I doing in the United States? <laughs> so we. Ended up uh, getting engaged not long after college. We got married and lived um, in a specific part of America. And where we found ourselves was not engaged in our calling. And I even had, you know, there's some of those moments where the Lord sends someone into your life and they ask you a question. And it's kind of one of those like um, Kairos moments where it's like, oh, wow, there's like a shift happening here and a change of seasons. And a friend of mine had spoken truth into my life like well if you're saying this is your calling you're not doing anything in that calling right now that's what friends are for though right yeah Called and you so yeah. got the wheels turning and you know we were in ministry at a church working with youth as well and we just didn't see how things were adding up like lord we're here and our idea by now would be overseas walking in our calling and the lord um, opened the door locally to do and practice what we envisioned doing abroad and that's, that's been where we've been since. Did that take you by surprise? Yeah, I felt like, to be honest, for those who graduate from Bible college or do cross-cultural ministry training, their friends will go abroad. And then you're thinking, well, am I a failure? And, mm. you know, you have an insecurity about mm. if I, am I settling because I'm still back here in America Again, there was a large paradigm shift that occurred for us, much needed, that as much as missions is global, it's also local, especially when you live in certain parts of America where there's such great diversity and great need. So... And I, I, we, we actually, we haven't actually mentioned where this is, and we're not going to. I'm sure some of our listeners are like, like where, where, is it? It? where is it? Where is it? Where is it? But yeah. the, the reality is it could be a there lot many, of places, many places. Uh, where, where it could yeah. be. And, and the way it often works with, uh, with refugees um, specifically. Now, we're not talking about immigrants in general. We're talking specifically about refugees, and there is a difference between the two. An immigrant might come here for any number of reasons. A refugee is fleeing from a, an unstable, dangerous situation, uh, a place that is not livable. And what, what often happens here is, and, and in other places in the world, once a few refugees go to one place, they hear their cousin is somewhere, their, their friend is somewhere, they start grouping in a neighborhood and often working in the same industry or what have you. I, I lived for some time in Little Saigon, and, uh, and Little Saigon became Little Saigon because refugees were coming from Vietnam. And they end up in, in the same area. And there's a lot of story to, to how that becomes an area. And it was a great place to live. Fantastic place to live. The uh, Vietnamese food was so good. But, but alone, <laughs> I'm happy. And uh, But, oh my goodness, it makes, it makes neighborhoods very, very interesting. And we have those pockets. But, uh, but take us to, to how did you discover that there was a, uh, an Arab, uh, a collection of Arab refugees? How are they getting there and how did you find it? So like you said, most of them are getting there because one, there's a hub and there's places that are conducive for their lifestyle. They carry the spices that they need at the markets. There's restaurants. <laughs> there's all the, there's um, the cultural there's, connection. Yeah, right? there's a cultural I mean, connection. And we 
stumbled upon it while we were not engaged in our cross-cultural calling for uh, a short season now, you know, so we stumbled upon a festival, cultural festival, and heard about a Middle Eastern community not far away from us, from where we were working and living. And so we sort of had opportunities to kind of taste and see and just stop by and check it out. And that's how we came into contact was through that festival, started to catch an idea that there's this huge community here. Wow. And um, eventually we shifted our, our focus and our efforts from not working amongst Muslims in our area to working with them and then moving into their area. So it happened in those phases. So, so you move in. Introduce me to to the neighborhood and uh, what life is like for a refugee and what are the needs as, as you step in and with a, a ministry mindset, what, what what are you looking for and and how you can reach them? Is it just let's go in and lay out the gospel and just get it done or is there more to that ministry? To give you guys a picture would be imagine walking down a street, seeing signs in Arabic without English, some of the signs in Arabic, um, you are hearing, you know, Arabic popular music being played out of car speakers, people, busy foot traffic, all kinds of cultural dress, flag, um, some of the nation's flags in one area um, displayed. Is it, is it flags from several nations? Or? Yeah, in, in one area in particular, some of the mm. businesses are. Um, you have the smells of the the shawarma, you know, the meat rotating mm, on the yeah. cone. Yes. So good, though. Yes. Oh. You know, so you've got <laughs> all the, you hear the music, right you. see the, the cultural dress, you hear you hear everything, you see it, you smell it. And um, so it is from Islamic fashion stores, mosques, hookah lounges, Arabic bakeries, markets, all that um, is what it looks like. And you could feel like you're there. And then, as you mentioned, is it, just giving the gospel. Right. I think what we're really doing and what the Lord has invited us into is holistic ministry. So that means being part of their life. And that means being going to a wedding because um, they consider you family. It's hours of tea, meals. It's showing up at their soccer game because they matter to you and you want to show that you care. It's um, my wife swimming laps with our with our neighbor from the Middle East, incorporating. So it's life on life discipleship. It's holistic. It's talking about how our kids are struggling, or talking about being vulnerable mm-hmm. about as our marriage and their marriage. Talking about Jesus, stories of Jesus. So in some ways, it's becoming a neighbor before you actually love your neighbor. Yeah, I see how it's all intertwined. We're we're loving our neighbors. We're being hospitable. We are welcome welcoming them into our lives, and they like they are very much quickly to reciprocate that and welcome us into their life. So, mm. sharing the gospel is never an event. It is our life, and it is communicated through various actions and through words. So it's no longer driving. 30 minutes to go to the festival to meet people and hopefully share about Christ. Right. It's everywhere with everyone every day. Right. Wow. 
That's good. Tell us about uh, the the missions organization that that you're a part of. Who who are you working with? So we work with Novo Missions, and Novo is a missions organization that has 611 long-term staff in 100 nations. And our team that we're with, uh, with a few other adults, a team of five adults total, we're one of their North American teams based on reaching an ethnic community that resembles field staff abroad, engaging ethnic communities or countries, you know. So they focus on, they have three strategic Context, which uh, context, which is the poor, the local church, and new ground. So this is the three areas that they're focused, and and the collective that we're part of is taking new ground in a cross cultural setting, uh, pioneering new works. Nice. So, in the work that Nova's doing, and the work that you're doing as part of the, the refugee, tell us what works and what doesn't. How, how does it affect it? This is an opportunity that is available to, to churches, not only all over our country, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Churches uh, all across Europe, places in Africa. We're going to be bringing back uh, the Fergusons back in again. When they were in Nairobi, they had refugees in from every surrounding country. Ministry to refugees is is an opportunity available to everyone, but it is not easy. So so what works? What what's effective as you are are doing ministry and, and you talk about becoming a neighbor, but mm-hmm. how do you meet felt needs? What are those felt needs? How do you engage? So we we find that the greatest felt need is friendship and community because even though they need English and they need a job and they need to get around via transportation, those are survival needs to just make it here. But the felt need of their heart is that in the wake of war and bloodshed and trauma, they have been traumatically and forcibly displaced and Mm. they now have no community, no friends, family that was their support system. And so now there's a huge felt need of being paralyzed and isolated and being in a place without community and friends. So that's number one. Ways we're engaging that is through an art program, doing art therapy with art ref- therapy with refugee women who have been traumatized. Now this is your wife's ministry. Yeah, she does that with one of our teammates. So they'll gather for tea and they'll do a Bible study through a psalm. And they will, through some helpful techniques, connect their emotions through art. And that Hmm. is proven to allow healing to begin it's an outlet it is an outlet yeah, yeah. so they're so they're, is this are these like or is this like pottery class or like the we've done different uh that's probably a little kids a little, crafts yeah it's probably <laughs> I'm, been I'm playing, but. some yeah some like maybe scrapbook things um they've done maybe some paint and so that's that's one way Another, is there a level at which artwork kind of let, lets the guard down and, and I know for me, I yeah. found that, that music has that ability. Mm-hmm. Music kind of uh, has a way to get in when I put my wall up against other things. Yeah. But, but is the artwork a, a way for, for somebody to, to kind of connect at the heart before trying to engage the mind? Yeah, it's, it, is a, it is a thing of when they are connecting emotionally with who they are, it does open up a channel to say, I need God. Wow. And this is my brokenness. Instead of hiding from it or 
trying to push it away and unidentified with it. And the other thing is there's been, um, we've done computer coding for the 1.5 generation of refugee and immigrant kids. We've had a, a local church partner do computer coding on like a 101 level That's really with cool. the kids. Wow. And they've had That's a really packed out house at our community center. So a bunch of kids are coming in. Yeah. Future tech wizards and... of, you know, and they're all <laughs> refugee immigrant background. Um, with you soccer and these are all various what we call various access ministries so it's always a question working with honor shame cultures particularly muslims that we found is that you need access to their life meaningful engagement leads to mm. spiritual engagement they go hand in hand when you say honor shame culture define that quickly that would mean that they are emphasizing their worldview is through the lens of acquiring honor and avoiding shame. Mm -hmm. But in the West, we will all recognize when I say that we uh, are guilt and innocence-based, right and wrong. Don't do that. That's wrong. You're supposed to do what's right. You hear them say, that's shameful. Mm -hmm. You need to do what's, what honors your tribe, your people, your family. Mm -hmm. So... They're collective, we're individual, and those and the honor say shame. It's bigger than the individual. It's more of a community, like the community, yeah. your people group, your tribe, like you said, your family. It, the decision making is collective. The the reputation is collective, not solely individual. So, so access ministries are very important to find effective and meaningful engagement. That yes, it meets felt needs, but we're not just looking to advance some kind of good earthly good help them to get on their feet here that's all good those are all blessings as a as a result of the kingdom coming into their life but the ultimate goal and why we have access ministries is for discipleship leading people into relationship with christ nice and Okay, I think that we're going to have some people who are listening and say, that's great for you. That's so way over my head. I I could never engage, go cross-culture. You lost me of the honor shame. I don't know how to talk to those people. I'm glad you're doing it because I'm not going to do it. How does a local church engage with regular people? And I, and I say this knowing that I've sent my son to hang out with you and working, and my son had an absolute blast. It was It was a mission trip that was without crossing international borders, and was involved, and he came back talking about, he loved working with the kids. He got to work with some of the kids who were refugees and, the, and, and absolutely loved the trip. And it was such, a, it was such an eye-opener for him to engage. How do you do that? How do you engage local churches? How can local churches get involved with an organization and, uh, and actually get to, to work with without moving into the neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I think that the partnerships could be powerful when local churches identify people in their in the local church structure who have a heart and have capacity time or however much time and that they would somehow enable an affinity group or a team to form in that in that local church structure that's like an organic group of people that have this heart and so between them they want to reach out to this community so if it's one person it will fizzle out right but there's momentum there's synergy when they can band together and i would say where there is normally large communities you'll find vocational full-time ministry workers like my family mm. that's tied to an organization that deploys sends out full-time vocational workers so i think 
we're we're at there's a network of people. It's not everyone's full time work to be where we are to do what we do, mm-hmm. but it's their heart to gather with us in prayer once a week, prayer and worship and intercede. For some, it's their heart to volunteer once a month or twice a month, and so they help with that when they do a women's gathering help with the kids or help with the women so is that effective in bridge building those who just show up once a month are they making a difference in connecting to that community it makes a difference i think that it certainly can make a difference i think that the more consistent and the more time the culture does cost families there's a cost to right effectively making disciples so the the trip your son took was effective because he got to spend like three nights in another culture, like up the street, you know, and in a sense, and have a crash course, you know. And, and I think there are different levels. And to the extent that people invest and sow will be the amount that they reap right. and the blessing it would be to others. So, yes, it would be meaningful, but I do find that ministry to immigrants and refugees is costly that it does require your time. Yeah. And you should count the cost. If you say yes to a family and you being involved in their life, Mm -hmm. your, your thought of the cost is one hour a month. They may be thinking you're saying yes to five hours a week. Right. Maybe. And that five hours could be like, like was just mentioned in the last episode, Five hours could be one sitting. Yeah. <laughs> and, Building relationships. Because that's the, the in, in their interpretation, if you're befriending me, that befriending means a certain investment of, of time. And so, and many people, and when we worked with, with people, sometimes when you show up and leave and don't come back, they get burned by that. And so right. counting that cost is, is essential. My, my daughter's been going to, to Romania, working with orphans for the last four or five years. And these orphans had seen people show up and have a great, go to camp or something like that. And uh, and they came back this the, this last summer was uh, their fourth year in a row putting on the camp and this was when they this fourth year was when they finally really seeing fruit and that was largely because the kids are seeing you keep coming back and that's they, they wouldn't really give over their heart to to really listen to the message until they know these people care enough mm-hmm. to keep coming back and that consistency makes a difference but there's also a connection of those who stay there's a team that's always there with those kids mm-hmm. and those that keep coming back and they see that that the whole body of Christ working in that all right i could actually talk a lot more about that you but could. it's about that time Brad you know what time it is it is that time it is that time it's uh it's time for Theology Throwdown, my friend. We're going to take a break from this. Ryan, I know this is your first time in here, but we got to do a little something different here. We've got a, a question to grapple with. So, Brad, why don't you introduce us to uh, today's question for Theology Throwdown? So, the question for the day, and this one's a little, little has a little controversy to it, mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit mm-hmm. going on, but what is the Christian response to immigrants and refugees? What does the Bible say about it, and what should Christians do? But real quick before that, some rules for that. Lay down the law, man. Ref, read ref the verse. Here. Read the verse. Keep it brief, right? Mm-hmm. So we give a little summary. Chris, sometimes you get a little long there, bud. I have cards, though. So just so I'm you know, we have man. Cards. I got to preach. You do preach, yes. <laughs> we have some penalty cards. Those of you who like soccer, we have a yellow card and a red card. So those mm-hmm. can be given uh, to speed up or shut down. Uh, so don't exceed the shot clock. 
Uh, hey, no personal attacks, right? Good verses, though. So does everybody understand? We're good? We're good to go. We're good to go. Let's bust out the question one more time. Let's All do right. it. So what is the Christian response to immigrants and refugees? And what does the Bible say about it? What should Christians do? So more than one question there, but what do you got for us, Ryan? So I think it's always important to start with the Bible and not the newspaper column. And Jesus in the Amen. New Testament. Amen. Jesus in the New Testament, he's, he's talking about the sheep and the goats being separated at the end of, of, of the judgment time. And, mm-hmm. and, and he's saying a parable here that um, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. That's Matthew twenty five thirty five. And then at the end, Matthew twenty five forty, the king will, rep- will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So I, what I would highlight is Jesus says um, in the parable, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Mm-hmm. And I think as the sheep were separated to the right hand of Jesus at the end of days, these characteristics of his disciples were inviting strangers in. And so it's a hospitality-based culture back then and mm-hmm. all those things. But I would say we're called to invite them into our life and open our hearts to people who are different than us and let them see Christ. Yeah. And for you, that that Muslim stranger, Jesus will say, that was me you were talking. He said, wait, no, no, no. It can't be a Muslim stranger. It has to be a, a Christian stranger. And, and no, Jesus takes on whoever, anybody, whoever it is, yeah. That uh, that you took in or did not take in, that uh, now of course there there are, there are limits to hospitality within reason and safety, mm-hmm. but as a as a life practice, the way that you act, I'm not even so. This his verse. I, I know. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I I don't. I was keep wanting to say, Chris, what do you got for us, <laughs> verse wise? But we may just bypass you. Okay, sorry. I turned it into discussion hour. No, I need a verse. Exodus twenty three nine. You shall not oppress a foreigner. Since you yourselves know the feelings of a foreigner, for you also were foreigners in the land of Egypt. Now, nearly that same command is given in Exodus 22, also in Deuteronomy 23. You get further warnings in Deuteronomy 24, 27, Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 22, Ezekiel 22. God speaks many times about the way you treat foreigners. And the the command there is... Don't oppress a foreigner because Israelites say, you know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And I think you could say that to anyone in the world. You know what it's like to be the outsider. You know what it feels like to be on the outs, lost, and and oppressed. Am I going off? Preaching. I'm just giving you yellow. That's just just the yellow yellow part. (laughs) I'll finish it up. But the the calling to to treat the foreigner like a local, to to welcome them in, to make sure that they have justice, to make sure they, they have compassion to make sure they, they have what they need and and help them out. Take them in. All right. We got another verse. Uh, Acts 17. I, th- I listed myself two in a row. Did I do that? I did do that. I think I put this one in there. <laughs> oh, let's that's get, yours. Let's give that to yeah. Ryan. That's, I think Ryan, you I should I think have, you talked uh, enough. Chris, I'm, let's I'm move on Okay, Ryan, this one's yours. So when Paul was invited up to Mars Hill to speak with the philosophers, he was talking to them about an altar to the unknown God. Mm. And he says, I want to declare this God to you, make him known to you. And he's saying that, that God made um, in Acts 17, 26, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that, so that they would seek him 
and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. So to recap, Paul is saying God is sovereign. He made the time and place people live. And he did it so that they'd reach out and find him. So the the rhetorical question, would God allow people from unreached lands, restricted nations, restricted access to gospel witness, to Bibles, and so forth, would God allow terrible things that some good might occur in his redemptive plan coming to our, our shores where there is a gospel witness, where there's a freedom to make a decision that could change their eternity for, for good. And um, again, rhetorical question. Yeah. Um, That's a good call. Nicely done on the throwdown. I l- I liked it. That was that was well done. Except for okay. Chris talking a little bit too much. Then, I apologize, Ryan. And I think that that's good. that that throwdown really gives us a great segue into something I want to talk about, which is the how do people respond to all this? As you're working with uh, refugees, we, we have just two minutes left here on the, on the uh, podcast. But Ryan, give us an idea. How do Muslims respond as you're reaching out? Um, is there a, are they they closed off? Don't hit me. Don't come at me, Christians. You got how do they? How do they respond when they when you are befriending and becoming their neighbor? So there's various postures towards how people would receive it. There is openness. There's curiosity. There's indifference. There's some who would be closed, closed-minded, not wanting to hear it. You'll find all of them. And there is just as many people like you find nominal as you might find some devout, and mm-hmm. you might find some open, and everyone's different. Amen. Do you uh, do you ever get anger? Uh, you, you listed uh, openness, curiosity, close. Do you do you get people who are angry that that you're doing what you're doing? I don't think there's been anyone who's directed their anger at me, but there are responses to individuals or people throughout history and throughout the Muslim world that it's not a hidden thing that people respond in anger. Um, so it's not been a personal uh, story of mine though. All right. We got to finish up. So we're, much more I want to ask and I want to so, hear. <laughs> so Ryan, we're going to invite you back. Can you, uh, can you come back? We got two more episodes in this series as we're talking. We're going to dig into to some of the issues of mission and what's effective both overseas and here, we're going to bring the Fergusons back in to uh, tell some of their story. And we're also going to dig into some of the issues about refugees specifically and, and immigrants and some of the, the more challenging issues for Christians as we talk about that. As we, uh, we dance on the edge of politics here, we're going to get a little more controversial. We're going to bring that back in part four of this series. But Ryan, as we close out, tell us how people can find out more about Novo and the ministry and how they can support and uh, get more information. So if individuals would like to follow Novo's global work, they could go on Instagram and find them at Novo Mission, as well as facebook.com slash Novo Mission. And they can reach out to me personally at thewoodburnfam at gmail.com. All right. We'll post those on the podcast as well so people can get more information on the Soul Podcast page. Thanks so much, Ryan, for, for coming in and telling your story. And uh, we're going to bring you back for for the next episode. Brad? I want more. We got some good yeah, stories. I want more. We got some good stories. I told you you're going to talk about I it. I want more. All right, I got to sign us out. It's a muddy world, so walk by faith and walk in grace. Thanks for joining us for the Soul Podcast. We'll see you on the next show. 
That's all for the Soul Podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the story. Join us next time as the conversation continues. You can subscribe wherever great podcasts are found. And you can find every episode at soulpodcast.com. That's S-O-L-E podcast.com. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Through the Word with audio guides for every chapter in the Bible. Join us for an epic journey through the entire Bible and understand the Bible in just 10 minutes a day. Get the app free at throughtheword.org. Thanks, everyone. Our producer is Brad Hornback. Audio production by Kira Joy. Video by Michael Kincaid. Audio editing by Daisy Short. On behalf of the whole team at The Soul Podcast, thanks for joining us. You heard the story, now go talk about it. Share a post, tell a friend, start a conversation, and we'll see you in the next one. You've got to hear that story.